Houston. Um, I am Tamara Lundquist, co-president of Houston Pet Set with Tina Lundquist-Faust, co-president of Houston Pet Set. We're so glad to have you on our podcast today. Thank you for your time. And thank you, Blanket, thank you for for, um, doing what you do. Do you want to just jump into it and and give us a little background about what it is that you do? You're extremely interesting, and um, I think we're going to have a great, great show today. So give us a little background first. Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. It's, it's a real honor to be here. Um, I very much appreciate what you do. Um, I am Pete Paxton. Uh, that's an alias because uh, I, do a, I do investigations for animal protection groups, but much of my work is undercover. So that's why I'm wearing a cap and shades in the interview right now. Um, I will uh, investigate pet stores, puppy mills, factory farms, slaughterhouses, commercial fishing boats. For 20 years, I've done that work for various animal protection groups, um, either doing surveillance or talking my way onto a property or working undercover at the facility. Uh I'm also the author uh, with Gene Stone and Nick Bromley, two fantastic authors. Uh, I wrote the book Rescue Dogs, Mm -hmm. uh, which is all about uh, puppy mills, but also dog adoption um, and and re- how to rescue dogs in any situation. We could go in a thousand directions here, but let's start right. with the puppy mills since you brought that up. Yeah. And that seems most relevant to the problem that we see in Houston, and that is homelessness of animals and how puppy mills contribute to that. Um, do you see a contribution to the homelessness of animals because of these puppy mills? A thousand percent. So, um, I remember when I was uh, talking to a few shelters um, for rescue dogs, I would go and I would, I, I had the opportunity to actually speak to, you know, all the kennel staff. And I, I've worked at shelters. I actually worked at a uh, special pals, mm-hmm. um, you know, just outside Houston before yeah. I was an investigator. Um, and, you know, what was, what was interesting to me was talking to these amazing, wonderful people that they give so much of themselves to help animals. Um, and, and saying, you know, so I'm a puppy mill investigator. Do you understand the connection between puppy mills and the dogs that come into your shelter? And everyone would just say no. And I, I was always surprised by that, right? right? It's, I think it's pretty normal to not get that connection. Um, and, and there is a connection. And let me just say real quick, listeners, what I'm about to say is controversial. Uh, my book is controversial. Um, uh, if you disagree with me, listeners, please hear me out. Uh, it's a point of view that it may not be yours, but even if you don't get information that you agree with, even if it provokes you, I would implore you to do your own research on what I say. And also, at the very least, you can walk away from this understanding a point of view different from yours. Mm-hmm. So that said, to go right into the controversy, just dive in head first. Go. Puppies that are born from breeders... Uh, that means that then dogs die in shelters, mm-hmm. simply the way it is. Uh, you, have, uh, uh, you have more people that want to go to breeders than want to go to the shelters. They're not going to the shelter. And then you have a lot of commercial breeders that they will breed their dogs. And then when they're not producing enough puppies, then they give you, them to rescues. So that mm-hmm. way they're not killing them. And then they can say, look, we're part of the solution. But then that's just this constant cycling door of more dogs that then need to be adopted while they're selling puppies. And all of those puppies, that's every puppy that goes out their door, that's another dog in a shelter that doesn't get adopted and gets euthanized. Um, And so what I do is I, I will document that entire process by going to pet stores and I will document uh, what it is that people say 
about where their puppies come from. And they give uh, very, very convincing misinformation. Then I go to the actual sources, the puppy mills and document them. Um, and I work to uh, refute the statements that they're all just small family based, you know, operations. Um, and so that's essentially what I do on the uh, on the puppy end, and that's why puppy mills are part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Well, and you also you also have a lot of puppies being born that are unhealthy because they're they're overbred, they're undercared for, they're taken from their mothers too soon. So people will buy those animals, and if you're in Houston now, you can go to Petland and lease this animal, or buy it on consignment or something like that. I guess make payments on it. Um, so you do that, but these puppies are not healthy. So you t you take it in, you can't you maybe can't afford it anyway, but you're paying, paying payments on this $1,500 dog who is sick and you're not going to be able to care for that dog because of the illnesses, because of where it came from. So it gets put back to the shelter. I can't afford to care for this dog, so I'm going to dump it in the shelter. And then the shelter has a $5 adoption day, so I can get another dog for $5. You're continually feeding this system of, of brokenness. And you're so right. When you, I never equate or never reduced it the way you did. If you buy a dog from a breeder, you're essentially killing a dog in the shelter because I read a statistic and you probably have a better one, but a million dogs are bred every year in this country and a million dogs are also euthanized. That doesn't make sense. I don't know another industry where you do that, where you 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 throw away basically healthy um, merchandise in order to bring in new stuff. It doesn't make sense. Just so somebody right. can make money. Yeah. Just so somebody can make money. Mm -hmm. Right. Like uh, you, you know, um, so... Glad you brought up Petland. I have a lot to say about Petland. I worked undercover at a Petland in 2006. That footage is uh, it's on a website for the client that I do. The vast majority, almost all of my puppy mill work for is for the Companion Animal Protection Society. Mm -hmm. You go to caps-web.org. Uh, you can see the footage of when we go to pet stores, the statements we get from them. And then, and then I will, I'll ask, where does this puppy come from? Look at the actual record. You see it on there. Mm -hmm. And then I go to the breeder and then you see the contradiction. Mm -hmm. When I worked at a, a pet land, uh, not only, you know, I, I, a part of my job was to sell puppies, but it was also to go to the actual breeders. And because I knew more about uh, dog breeding than the owner, I was, I was one of the people that would say, which puppies are we going to get? So I got to document those breeders. Um, and of course they were standard puppy mills. Uh, but then I, then, you know, people were lied to about where the puppies came from. Uh, you know, there was tax evasion on all ends yeah. that the breeders wouldn't report all their earnings. Um, we were paid under the table by the owner. You know, I mean, it was just this, it was just a, a slew of crimes. It's organized but crime. It is. But the thing that Petland does in general, uh, at any of their places in the country, what they do now is they have video, they take a select amount of breeders and they take videos to try to show that, look, the dogs and the puppies are always running around in yards. They have these massive facilities and that's how they are. And when you see it, it's very convincing. And then what they'll tell you is they use the top 5%, right? Top 5% of breeders. And if you ask them to quantify that, it's impossible. They're just making it up, right? Mm -hmm. They say they're USDA licensed and that, they're inspected by the AKC and by other, uh, you know, dog registries. They're, they're inspected by vets all the time. They're inspected by the state, and then we inspect them. So first of all, I've personally gone and I've seen myself, and I explain this in my book how, you know, I will go and, and look at a place, and it's just absolutely night and day, completely contradicting what the, the, 
pet mm-hmm. store owners will, will claim that they're showing one thing and I'll go there and that's not the entire facility or this other facility isn't even remotely close, right? But then it, there's something that is that is much more complicated than that. And this is why it, the, the lies that they give, it's, it's, for lack of a better term, it's insidious because you have to be an investigator like me to really understand when they say things like, look, they're licensed by the federal government. They're licensed by the state. They inspect them. How do you argue with that? Like, why would you think that some activist saying it's not true is the case? And this is where you got to really get into it. Um, there's an example I give in my book. Um, it's in a chapter called Emma, and it is about a USDA licensed, state licensed facility. They're inspected by USDA, inspected by the state. They would have a, a dentist a dent come out, mm-hmm. uh, a vet specialized just in teeth, and they'd have another vet come out. And they would tell me about these inspections, and they discuss it on tape. I recorded the whole thing. They invite you to their facility. Nobody does that. Nobody's like, come on out and see it. And I thought, I, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, are, are they an exception? So I saw a variety of problems. I, 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 one of the things I saw was I saw that uh, there was a one, ch- they had chihuahuas and huskies, and one of the chihuahuas, they actually had them nursing inside. Every breeder says they do that, and they, and they don't. They were actually keeping the mother dogs in their house. I couldn't believe it. And so I went inside and I looked at them. And here's this chihuahua in a, in a crib, a human crib, right? Like a baby crib. And it's kind of modified with these two chihuahua puppies. And they're, they're just a few days old. And one is healthy and pink and the other is purple. And I, you know, he, he handed the puppy to me and the puppy was cold. And I said, what's wrong with this one? He said, oh, probably not going to make it. I said, she given anything to it? And he's like, you know, normally people give like, it's hypoglycemia. They could give, you know, sugar syrup. He said, ah, maybe she gives it some sugar or something. Sometimes they don't make it. So I looked at the mother and her tongue was hanging straight down. And I looked at her and I said, she isn't, is her bottom jaw missing? And he said, yeah, I think she got in a fight in the kennel. It just kind of deteriorated, right? So here's this mother dog with no bottom jaw nursing a dying puppy. I thought, okay, strike one, right? So I go out into the kennel. Now I do not see, I see a few minor USDA violations as far as little too much, you know, poop stains on something, a little too dirty, nothing major. And there's this one dog uh, I said, look, I, you know, I, I don't think I can afford a puppy, but do you have any dogs that won't breed? I'll take a dog off your hands. And uh, if, if I'm not going to be fueling their coffers, if it's like a hundred bucks or something, then I'll take that dog to rescue them. And he said, yeah, we got this one dog, Emma, this little chihuahua. Emma would run, a, run back and forth, didn't want to be handled, but eventually he scooped her up. You can see in the footage, this footage is online on the CAPS website. Um, you know, she looks like she's otherwise healthy, like she's fat and healthy, right? When he picks her up, he holds her up and I said, let me just check her. You know, uh, I'm just going to make sure she's okay. See what I'm see, you know, when I take her to the vet and I look at her teeth and her teeth are just brown and yellow and coated and tart. Her teeth were so bad that I had to have a vet pull 20 of her teeth. An infection had gone from her teeth all the way up through her nasal cavity and it had caused a heart arrhythmia, right? This place is USDA inspected, inspected by a vet, inspected by a dental specialist and inspected by the state. How does that happen? Right. right. Is that yeah. you see these things and you won't you unless you're an investigator right. and you can talk your way into getting up close personal to the dogs, which that alone, by the way, can't happen every time. That's hard enough. Mm-hmm. You won't see these problems. But it, but it, it goes deeper if you're wondering why it is that the government and the state will allow these things to happen. Now, in Texas, you have the state licensing board mm-hmm. is going to 
check out mm-hmm. your your kennels. But you got to have like 11 plus dogs, right? right? So most of them are going to be exempt. Right. Um, most states, and even if any place is federally licensed in Texas, it's a state department of agriculture or for the, for the feds, it's USDA. It's the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. What that means is that the agency that inspects our slaughterhouses mm-hmm. inspects our dog breeding kennels. Right. 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 And so they view these animals as livestock and that mentality mm-hmm. enables violations like these to occur and for the codes to not be enforced very strictly. Mm-hmm. Well, and you bring up a, a good point. You, you talk about the numbers and it's not just puppy mills that contribute to this, but what we call backyard breeders, the people that are not, um, en masse breeding animals, but people that want to produce four or five litters a year from, if you have 11 breeding animals and you produce two litters a year from, that's a lot of animals, but they fall under the guide or they fall under that threshold for being uh, regulated. And so how many of those backyard breeders are actually producing, you know, animals as well? I mm-hmm. mean, is there so any, many. any count in terms of the number of animals that are bred in a state or even in our country every year? Uh, I believe HSUS says that it's around 10,000, but it's unknown. I I will occasionally come across, you know, uh, unlicensed places like that. Sometimes I seek them out. Sometimes I just get wind of it. Sometimes a puppy miller will say, oh, yeah, you don't want to go to so-and-so, though. You know, like they're doing it really wrong. Um, So it's, it's actually unknown. But with Houston, you have this particular problem right? That makes it very difficult. If you go online and you try to see where you can, uh, where you can buy puppies online, you know, if you're selling sight unseen, you're supposed to be licensed by the USDA. USDA does not have time to enforce that on everyone. So you go into Houston in particular, right? And I'm not just talking about like Dallas or right where you are. And you say, okay, well, let me look online for the puppies that are being sold. And you're going to find all these people that are selling all manner of puppies and then when you ask to see the puppy, they will meet you at a grocery mm-hmm. store, yep. right? It's because they didn't breed them. Yeah. They are buying them from other people. Mm-hmm. And then they're reselling them to you mm-hmm. with no assurance, maybe cheaper than a pet store. Um, and and that, what are you supposed to do as the licensing board with that? What are you supposed to do as the USDA with that? Especially mm-hmm. when the numbers are so high, you have to pick who you're going to regulate or, or not. And that is why... Um, I, I put the fault partially on the licensing board, you know, and, and the government, but I, I can't blame them. It's not like they're trying to do something to hurt animals. They need stricter regulations yes. that would help the licensing board. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is that every one of us has the power to fight this problem by adopting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. right. It's 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 uh, it's a free market, and so you either choose to support it or you you choose not to. So it's, it makes good sense, you know, adopt, don't shop. And we say it, and we say it kind of so often that people get sick of hearing about it, but yeah. you really bring to light um, the, the travesties that can happen to animals when, when you support breeders. And when you now have there- 25% of the animals, uh, full bred, you know, the, um, the purebred animals going through our shelter system, if you do, and, you know, Tina and I love Westies, but I don't have one right now. I'll take, I'll take any dog because I love all of them. But if you really are stuck on a breed, you can still, you can still rescue one. And it's probably important that you do. You're probably going to get a puppy mill dog, but um, 
you know, you need to you need to support those rescues doing those breed specific. Um, oh, 100 percent. You know, another thing is that, you know, l- listeners, if any of you are skeptical or this might be the case, you might have a listener. that's like, all right, I hear you. But listen, here's the deal with my friend. OK, so, so first of all, if your friend bought a puppy from a breeder, your friend is not a bad person. Right. Listeners, if you have if you or you have a friend, they have a dog, they occasionally will you know, uh, breed her with a stud and have a litter every now and then they're not a bad person. Right. Don't go screaming and yelling and demonizing. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I disagree with what they do, but, but, um, the, the, I think the, one of the things is that you have a lot of people that will say, I agree with everything you're saying, but I have a special needs kid. Also, I am the greatest dog trainer on the face of the earth. So what I will do is I will find a puppy from a responsible breeder. And then I will raise that puppy to be the exact dog that I want to take to work with my special needs kid. And this is what I have to say to that. I I explain it in in detail in my book, but um, the best option for you, if you're that person, is to adopt and not to buy from a breeder. It comes from, there's a misunderstanding about dog evolution and about dog psychology that makes us think that we can use use nurture to completely overcome nature. Mm. Dogs are individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you ever a good example for this is that you know listeners, if you got anybody who's like like you, like say you have a couple friends, they're a couple, they're a married couple, right? And they're both the nicest people, and then they have a kid. And their kid is a total jerk, right? And you're like, how did that happen? How did this come out of them, right? It's like, well, because you can't completely control it, right? Yeah. You can, and you can have someone who raises two kids and they end up completely different. It's not all nurture. Dogs are the same. Dogs have individual personalities. Now you take a puppy mill puppy and they're going to get pulled away at five to six weeks of age from the mother. They don't learn yeah. to not play bite right. because their mother is not there to teach them. So you're going to have to deal with that. They get separation anxiety mm-hmm. being pulled away from their mother. That's why when you, as soon as they come out of the cage at the pet store and they go with you, they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. They want to cling to somebody, right? You hear about separation anxiety at shelters. It's actually a spectrum. And any shelter worker will tell you that the vast majority of cases are not what you think they are, but you're going to have it in puppy mill puppies. Secondly, you're right. They are going to be less healthy. Their immune systems are not developed. Mm-hmm. They haven't had all their shots and the stress of getting out of being bred and then getting to the store or getting flown out to you is going to make it more likely you're going to have an expensive problem. The dog at the shelter, fully developed immune system, fully vaccinated. Also good rescues will use trainers and fosters that dog. You, you, guarantee mind you that when a dog goes into a different circumstances, there's an adjustment, Mm -hmm. but that dog's personality for the most part, is known. Does that mm-hmm. dog like kids? Does that dog like cats? Other dogs that like to go swimming? Do they like to be a couch potato? Mm-hmm. That's known. That's what's best for your family. The puppy mill puppy, you have you know, no idea. Know. You don't know. So what do you do? Um, I had a situation yesterday where uh, a friend lost her dog last week and she's heartbroken. So in a knee-jerk reaction, her assistant went to a puppy store, was going to heal her heart with a new puppy. And, she, and because we had had this conversation, she said, okay, this is the puppy store. And she went online and said, where's the puppy from? So she asked that, which was which was smart of her, but she was doing her research because I said, if you're going to get a dog from a breeder, you have to go to the facility and 
absolutely without a doubt see where that dog was born see where it was bred look at vet records go through it and you know just gave her what i thought was my best armchair um uh, yeah. solution for not getting a, a, a puppy mill dog. And so she went online and the, the owner of the dog store said, oh, this dog comes from this wonderful farm. It's this, it had this beautiful name. Um, it went through the whole thing about how great this dog was going to be. She starts doing her research and she's sending me these things and we get, get through it, through it, through it. The dog is actually was bred in Wisconsin. Um, and the, when she looked at the at the records, it had like 27 violations in 2019. It had 36 violations in 2020, but they were still breeding. So what do you do? Why are these places not shut down if they have so many violations? And there's there's record after record of people complaining about dogs coming from these farms. And what they do is they change their name. They put a new name on their their situation. They're not paying taxes. Then they're avoiding taxes. They're producing the same sick dogs, and they're hiding under a different name. And how is it that the laws in these states, one was Wisconsin, one was Iowa, one was Indi- Indiana, and I hate to say it, but um, there's a group of people, the Amish people, who were part of these breeding yep. rings. And yep. so how do you go after these people? Who would I call in a situation like that? Because she brought it to me, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. If the laws don't protect the animals, what do you do? You don't remember the name of that breeder. Do you? I have all of them. It's okay. All that's, I... a, that's okay. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, so first of all, fire her assistant. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> don't, don't, don't fire her assistant. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, now here, here's the thing. What I could do is I could give you this simple answer of, well, you need to report it yeah, and it's... you need to then be responsible and adopt. But, What's the realistic B- answer? Yeah. 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 That's a BS answer. What I can. Um, you almost swore. There's yeah, there's I'm going to I'm going to have to if, if I want to tell you exactly why that happens and why when you just call someone, the problem doesn't get solved. I got to go a little deep. This is why I wrote a whole book about it. OK, is because whenever I would do a case, I noticed for many years I would do an investigation. I'd work at whatever, you know, a, puppy mill or a slaughterhouse or whatever the case is, even, and, and it's, we'd see what I call predictable criminal activity. Like if you, if you're going to go work at a hog farm or a chicken farm or a puppy mill or a fishing boat, I literally have a list of the crimes that I know you're going to uncover. And I, I can tell you how to uncover them. Mm-hmm. It's that, that predictable. And there's reasons for it that good people will do bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite that, every time a case would come out, people would see the video, even seasoned activists would ask me why. Why does this happen? Why do people do this? So in rescue dogs, the idea was you will not ask why at the end of this. You will understand it. So I'm gonna. Tr- I'll try to. I'll try to break it down. That's just. I got to go deep. Sure. If that's okay. Yes. What it. What it starts with is it starts with our laws, and our agencies that regulate these places that are supposed to regulate them, and it goes next to our culture because the laws are based on our culture mm-hmm. and that that those cultural beliefs come from a misunderstanding of dog evolution and biology. And that is something that is wrapped around the core, which is greed and ego, mm-hmm. right? So if we start with the government and, and law enforcement, um, it's that, uh, okay, these dogs, they are, they are viewed as livestock. 
even legally in, in some ways, but also, uh, but, but more important culturally. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, you cannot mutilate your pet without anesthetic, right? But if you're on a hog farm, you can cut off the tail and tear out the testicles with no anesthetic. And that is going to be exempt under, uh, uh, under a specific part of the cruelty law because it's a stand, it's what's called a standard agricultural practice. So if you're at the puppy mill, you can clip the dog's ears and clip the dog's tail, no anesthetic. And they're going to bleed everywhere because that's a breed standard, right? And, and if you have a certain amount of violations, you're not going to enforce it, enforce like, you know, the animal, the federal animal welfare act or the, or the, or the something from the state licensing board as harshly as you might enforce something on someone in someone's individual pet, mm-hmm. because again, you view those dogs as yeah. a commodity, right. a resource to be used. And so that what the USDA does is they started fighting against people calling out those violations by saying that there's teachable moments. If you have a violation and you swear you can clean it up immediately, it's called a teachable moment. It doesn't, it literally does not get written down so that if you send a FOIA to try to find mm-hmm. out if that breeder had a violation, you won't find one. Tooth problems and matted fur are so common that the, that the USDA, instead of saying we need better enforcement of Section 2.40 of the Animal Welfare Act that covers veterinary care, they said because those problems are so common, if you have a dog with bad teeth or matted fur, it's no longer a violation of 2.40 wow. vet care, right? It, and yeah. the, so all of so you can see how you might even be a cop and you go and you're like, oh, someone's abusing a dog. Okay, well, let me. Where are they? Oh, wait, it's the kennel. That's different. Those dogs are livestock. The, mm-hmm. the vast majority of the yeah. time that I make a complaint about even the most egregious animal cruelty, uh, you know, dogs that have ice instead of water in their dishes, dogs that haven't been fed in two days, um, dogs with open wounds, you know, whatever you can imagine, um, almost every time law enforcement won't act. I, I discuss in my book how, in fact, for reporting such conditions, I was arrested for reporting them and the target was not arrested for what they were doing. Um, and for attacking me for being on the property, right? And 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 all of that that mentality, it centers around this idea of the dogs being livestock. And and what where that comes from is this idea. And this is where I'm going to get a little deep. Okay, we have this common belief in our culture. It's called teleology. Teleology is explaining something through its perceived yeah. purpose. Mm rather than what causes it. The best example for this conversation would be to say, why is it that dogs are in puppy mills? And I would say it's because people have evolved alongside dogs until we got to a point where we started changing their evolution so that we could use them to fit our needs Mm -hmm. against the physical and psychological well-being of dogs. Mm -hmm. The teleological thinker would say, no, dogs are in the conditions they are because that's their purpose. They're mm-hmm. meant to be bred. They're meant to be fought. They're meant to be raced, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, the, the problem is that there's no scientific evidence behind it. You can't draw blood from your pet, draw blood from a puppy mill dog and say, okay, wait, wait, see right here? I can see under the microscope that your dog is meant to be loved. This person's dog is meant to be bred. There is, there is no purpose in nature. There is no intention in nature. Things, it's just Things simply are. We create those purposes, but we don't see it as that. We use our culture to give purposes to, to things and then make our laws get shaped by mm-hmm. that culture, right? Yeah, and, right. And, and 
And when you go beneath that and you say, yeah, but why is it so hard to fight that? Why is it so hard to challenge that? Greed and ego. Yeah. You're not, it goes, you're, uh, yeah. Yeah. goes back to that greed and ego. Mm-hmm. You're so, so right. And you keep bringing up agricultural animals and domesticated animals. And that's exactly why our law this year that didn't, our, our bill our, um, that we um, passed through the House and the Senate um, but our governor vetoed. Yeah. It was because um, of the agricultural lobby in this state, afraid to have any type of laws regulating animals. They're afraid that eventually it's going to get into their space. And also their dogs, want to, they want to treat their animals on their property the way they want to. And so in the meantime, we have dogs dying on the ends of chains, not being fed, Um because we have no definition of what shelter is in this state. We have nothing that says we we can take this animal from you because you are mistreating it. People get 24 hours in this state to rectify it. I mean, what other crime can you commit where you get 20 oh, oh, I'm going to I'm going to potentially commit murder, but you know what? In 24 hours I'm going to change my mind, so you yeah. know, attempted murder doesn't count. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, and it's it's hurting so many so many of the domesticated animals um, in our that are owned, and it's it, you know just to protect a few that are on the ranches. And really, the bill was written to protect those animals on ranches too. It 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 didn't it didn't really affect the way ranchers were operating. So it's just right. such an unfortunate situation. Yeah, there's a slippery slope mentality. It's yeah. dogs now. It's it's hogs and cattle and chickens mm-hmm. later. But right. why can't we treat um, them better? What's so wrong with that? When you look at the way hogs and cattle and chickens are treated, greed and ego. There's, there's no reason we. You can still eat them. I'm a meat eater. I'm an old blood type, and I am a meat eater. And I really do try to find meat that's been um, harvested, you know, kindly, as kindly as you possibly can. But why can't you treat the the hogs and the and the and the, um, the cows better? There's no. So the, the, the reasons, uh, the, the first reason is uh, it's, it's the stress of the work environment. So um, when you have almost any kind of factory farm or slaughterhouse you can name, I've, I've worked at it, some of them multiple ones, and it's that, you know, you're, uh, you know, you hear about people doing hard work, but until you've worked, you know, in agriculture, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it just, it takes you past what you think your limits yeah. as a person are, right? And you get, you get, you get, you get hungry, you get sleep deprived, your willpower breaks, mm-hmm. and then... And then the cow slips in the milking stall and she won't get up. So people just start hitting her, right? The, the dog won't move from one cage to another. So you just grab the dog and you throw him, right? The sea lion won't get out of the squid net, right? And is eating your catch. So you take the gaff to the sea lion. It's, it, it's the average normal human response under those stressful circumstances. Furthermore, you see that the government doesn't care, right? right? And you see that law enforcement doesn't care and isn't going to enforce regulations about things like that. Yeah, if you have a, most people that work at these facilities have a felony or immigration status, that means they cannot speak up and it fur and it, and so mm-hmm. no one speaks up. So those practices just become yeah. normal. And that all of those things come to combine yeah. what I, it, and it creates what I call a culture of cruelty mm-hmm. where it is a norm to have abuse, even illegal abuse, that people might otherwise deny occurs, but we always find. Yeah. And that when someone like me says, nope, 
It's, it's, it's not right. You shouldn't treat animals like that. And you should change. You gotta, you gotta adopt and we should change our diet. We should do all these things. There's this moral indignation, this, this cognitive dissonance that we instantly feel that, that builds this moral indignation to say, do not challenge my culture. Do mm-hmm. not challenge my tradition, right? You're mm-hmm. the problem for wanting to change it. And when we try to find out how we bridge the gap between tradition and innovation, science is what should do it. Mm-hmm. All animals suffer. All animals try to avoid suffering. There is, a, there is a better way for the planet to do things than the way that we're doing them. But science is under attack, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and when, we don't, when it comes to puppy mills, when we don't understand that do- how dogs have evolved and, and, and how dogs think, we then don't necessarily believe that adoption is the answer. And we think that we think that, you know, nope, breed the perfect dog and I'll raise them how I want. That mm-hmm. that's the answer. Right, right. And he, to back oh, up just a little bit, mm-hmm. you said law enforcement doesn't care. I we we have we're fortunate in Houston that we have some law enforcement that Oh, fantastic law enforcement. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Commander oh, yeah. Borza. Yes. So I just wanted to point yes. that out because yes. he's been a part of um of our podcasts. And, and I just uh, want to make sure that we're not, um, we're defending those that are doing really good work. And, and yeah, they, uh, uh, and they uh, uh, really yeah. want the laws to back them up too. Right. You know, they say, we hate sure. it. We hate it that we go out and we see these animals suffering, dying on the ends of chains, crying, begging for help. The law will not support us helping them. They want the laws to back them up because they hate seeing it. And we just absolutely. Um, I, I heard your interview with Commander Borza. Commander mm-hmm. Borza, I'm a big fan. Keep up what you're doing. Yeah, um, yeah. No, th- thank you for bringing up that point. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, it. Listeners, any member of law enforcement or anyone who has friends or family in law enforcement, um, you know, look, I, 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 I feel your pain. Mm-hmm. I, I have dealt. I have a lot of friends in law enforcement at the local, the federal level, that have done amazing, fantastic, selfless work to help animals. Um, the, the reason that I say that law enforcement, you know, won't care is uh, that, that's a blanket statement that's yeah, untrue. Yeah. But I would be and apologies to anyone that this, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but if I, I can't shy away from this, I would say easily 90% of the time, maybe a little more recently, that I find something that is, you can go online, you can look at the videos, you can go on caps and see, that is the most egregious cruelty that you could imagine. Law enforcement will not act. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I just yeah. recently, uh, I just recently in Kansas found animals that were um, literally, I, I'm not so I'm not trying to be too graphic listeners, but it's literally okay. decaying bodies on top of decaying bodies and no food or water and absolutely could not convince the sheriff's department to seize the animals. Yeah. And it, and it is that it is a particular thing in rural areas yeah. Um, yeah. where not all not all law enforcement, but most of the time that in rural areas when it's livestock or dogs that are treated as livestock, that mentality has to be overcome and we, we have to confront mm-hmm. it, you know, um, I'm sure that Commander Borza would have more to say uh, yeah. about it if he's if he encounters mm-hmm. that, if he ever deals with that in rural Texas. 100%. And thank less, you for clarifying yeah. that. Well, thank you, Tina, for bringing it up. It's yeah. super important. One less, I, I have one last question because we're sort of out of time, but how do you protect, oh, sure. how do you protect your heart I'm, through well, all of this? I was that too. Um, you know, you protect your soul. Protect, yeah, because we see it. I mean, there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't try not to cry for some thing that we see. And I can't imagine being in your position and seeing year after year, case after case of this, as you said, this extreme cruelty. How, you know, I know for me, and I I speak for myself, um, 
being able to do something metabolizes that pain that I have in seeing the suffering. So I have to do something to help because it helps me. I'm really not altruistic. I'm not not altruistic. (laughs) I have to do something because it helps, helps me. I feel like I'm making a difference. Um, what, you know, how do you protect your heart and soul in, in doing this work? Uh, I, I work out a lot and I listen to a lot of extremely angry music. That's very man of you. That's very man of you. I'll be honest. I mean, it is, it is very, it, it is very difficult. Um, I, in fact, I, to bring him up again, I remember in, in your interview with Commander Boris, if I'm not mistaken, he, he explained, uh, he recognized not just the the trauma that he goes through, but that the first responding officers yes. go through with what it is that they, because, you know, he, I remember he said he has to watch the interviews, but that, you know, there's all the officers, they first respond, they have to deal with that. And that was mm-hmm. wonderful that he, you know, he, he recognized that. Um, uh, but uh, it's, it's, there, there's, there's no, there's no simple answer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, I, I try to, I, I think one of the main things is that I love my work. I love investigations. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't enjoy investigations, then I would, then I would go crazy. Yeah. So. yeah. It's so great that you can recognize that, that you can separate out the, the, the investigative part and, you know, like that part and probably, you know, um, suffer somewhat silently. So it's, it's, thank you for what you do. There's so few people that could do what you do. I, we yeah. went to the, the, um, mercy for mercy animals. for animals gala, and yeah. um, a few years ago and listened to what they did and met some of their investigators and um, left sobbing because <laughs> it, it's it's um, it's brutal. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, we'd love to stay in touch with you. And that was a really a, a question that I'll probably follow up with you if, if you don't mind. What do we do? Because we have we have evidence of sometimes these puppy mills. But if the law doesn't protect protect the animals. What do you do? Do you just have to let it go? But maybe there's, maybe you have some, I'm not looking for a vigilante <laughs> team at all, right. but I'm asking, I'm asking for answers within the law that we could, that are really applicable to, to, uh, the, the, the answers within uh, very briefly, I can say that the answers within the law already exist. Mm-hmm. The problem is getting strict enforcement yeah. and that it is a cultural reason that we do not see yeah. Uh, rural law enforcement always enforcing them. What I would like to see is law enforcement from areas like Houston trying to meet with rural law enforcement mm-hmm. to say, hey, there's a stricter standard that the state wants. Yeah. We can help you find that to work with them and mm-hmm. not against them so they don't feel like their dignity is being taken. They don't feel like they're under attack. Because if they listen to me, they're going to feel like they're under attack. But if law enforcement from the city comes and meets with them, they'll feel like they're working with a yeah. friend. Yeah. yeah. That's a great, great point and something we can talk to our law enforcement friends about and and support them so that they can support those rural areas, too. So, yeah, thank you so much, Pete. We could talk forever. There's so many questions. You take good care of you because our world, our country, our state needs you. Our animals animals need you protecting the animals. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for what you do. And um, we'd love to stay in touch. And if there's anything we can do to help you in Houston, please let us know. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Y'all are the best. Take care. Take good care. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye.